Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. As the year comes to a close, it's a great opportunity to have a look back at some of the highs and lows of tillage farming in 2022. This year has been one of the most eventful years in recent memory. Despite the challenges of very high input prices, thankfully grain prices were substantially higher and allowed for a very profitable year. During the recent Chagas Outlook Conference, Fiona Thorne, an economist with Chagas, commented that 2022 is estimated to be one of the best income years for tillage farmers in some time. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Shay Phelan and Kieran Collins, who are both well-known tillage specialists in Chagas, to go through the events which shaped this year. Shay, can I first come to you? You might maybe just remind listeners of the area that was planted. Was it up or down in 2022 in comparison to normal? 2022 will be remembered as one of those years where um, the area went up and uh, of all the main tillage crops, I suppose, in general, they, they went up and that was driven in, in, in large part by the tillage incentive scheme that was that was announced by the Minister for Agriculture back in, in March. So I suppose overall, a number of years ago, we were looking at a decline in the area of, of cereals and tillage crops planted, but I'm glad to say that decline has been arrested. And this year, if you take this year in 2022, if you take the combinable crops, your cereal crops and your proteins and oilseed rape and add on, say, the likes of potatoes and maize and, and sugar beets and stuff like that, we're, we were close on 350,000 hectares, which is about 15,000 hectares overall higher than where it would have been in 2021. Um, and in, from 2020 to 2022, you're probably looking at 20,000 uh, hectares of an increase. So I suppose it, it was driven in no small part by the tillage incentive scheme, but we are seeing a kind of an arrest of that decline that we'd seen for, for from the middle of the last decade. Uh, and it's, it seems to be rising now at the moment. And Kieran, just coming to you, um, the year, I suppose, maybe started off a little bit kind of nervous in the fact that we, it was easy to see fertilizer prices had climbed quite a bit from October the previous year and fertilizer prices weren't going down, I suppose, anyway, anyway soon. And there was lots of talk about gas prices. And before we knew it, um, there was a, a war in Ukraine and it really started to, 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 to shake the world at that stage. So maybe you could maybe sum up the feeling of the industry around that time. Were, were, were people really nervous maybe to go at planting at that stage? Definitely, Michael. I suppose nervous is one word and uncertainty, really. I think, uh, as you say, fertilizer availability actually nearly became the issue at one stage over over the actual price. You know, um, you know. I suppose that w- that was certainly a consequence, as you say, of of the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Um, you know, a lot of the focus at the time was certainly on more efficient use of fertilizer. You know, kind of making do what you have, focusing on organic manures. Um, and I suppose the other, I suppose, important point at the time was like that that grain prices were were pretty flat there in, you know, in January, February when people were were doing their planning. So you know, we were looking at the break even ratios. In other words, how much nitrogen could you actually afford to put on a crop? And you know, was that was that level going to be much lower than previous years just due to the cost of that fertilizer, and and the price of grain at the time? So you know, I suppose there was a lot of uncertainty in 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 the market at that stage. I suppose, and that was all, as I say, prior to as we know, grain prices did start to increase there into into early March, and you know, reached a peak there somewhere in in the middle of June. But you know, uncertainty, Michael, I suppose, was really the thing, but really around fertilizer. Fertilizer was the big one. I presume looking back there, Kieran, what kind of probably turned it a bit, as you say, were, was the increase in grain prices. They did they started to increase kind of from 
March onwards and uh, seem to keep marching along and that probably settled confidence back into the system again. It, it did, but I suppose when the planning of the season was going on in January, February, and even when the sowing started, I think that uncertainty was there in terms of, you know, where grain price was going to be. And as you say, it didn't it didn't pick up until until March. And I suppose, look, if there's an ill wind, I suppose it certainly put a big focus on fert on organic manures. I think we definitely saw an increase in that. And I suppose the spring, then the way it came, you know, the fact that it was dry, we did see more farm was trying the likes of in-crop um, spreading of organic manures, which which turned out to be quite successful. There was a bit more of a focus on legumes, like like maybe beans in particular, I suppose, you know, okay. um, soil testing, nutrient management planning. So I suppose, look, from that perspective, I suppose there there was a big bigger focus on, on nutrient efficiency. I suppose focus the mind, I suppose, all around in terms of those costs, which is maybe no harm whether they're, they're, they're high or low, people probably need to have a good eye on those. But Shay, c- coming back to the year rolled along, crops looked terribly well. There was there were full crops all around. Will 2022 be remembered as a record year? Yeah, I think it will, Michael. Um, certainly some of the crops performed as well, or, or, or we had record yields in some crops, like winter wheat had the joint highest uh, recorded yield that we ever had, uh, rivaling what we had in 2015. Um, the likes of winter oilseed rape had higher than normal uh, yields, and spring barley had the highest ever recorded yield that we've recorded uh, on the harvest report. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it will be remembered as, as a record yield. As you say, crops were performed well during the spring, Winter crops went in in ideal conditions last back end, uh, and they came through a pretty benign winter. So they they were you know they were ditch to ditch or hedge to hedge if you like in terms of crops. There was no bare patches anywhere anywhere. So generally, when you have that, you have a good you you know you have good yield potential um, in those crops. You know. And as the year went on, Shay, was there anything else that kind of uh, I suppose played into the hand? A farm a farmer can only kind of put it there and make sure it's kind of cared for as 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 good as it could be. Was there any other factors that were unique, maybe to twenty twenty two in comparison to other years that built that yield? Yeah, if you like, um, I mean, it's probably it'll probably be remembered as a relatively low disease pressure year for most crops. Um, that we didn't really have those disease that are lit- typically that take away yield on your like septoria, which can reduce yields very very quickly. Um, and I suppose we. While it wasn't an overly wet or overly dry spring, there was always, you know, really enough rainfall there to keep crops ticking over. So there was no real drought scenario anywhere in the spring. So crops just moved along nicely. We were, we hadn't really high temperatures during the spring either. So they weren't we weren't seeing uh, fields drying out, especially spring crops or spring barley or things like that drying out in the spring in those kind of key April and May months where you get a lot of development of green cover and biomass in the crops. So from the, the springtime just generally ticked along just nicely. We hadn't got huge extremes of, of temperature or drought or anything like that. So, you know, from that point of view, it really played into the hands of most of the crops during the spring. Okay. And one that, uh, listening to people around the countryside, um, winter barley probably just was the one crop I think most people said, ah, oh, God, you know what? It was a little bit disappointing. Uh, why do you think it, it turned out that way in comparison to, to, to other crops? Yeah, you're right, Michael. Um, if there was one crop this year that people were 
were very disappointed with it. in some cases it was winter barley um and there's there's probably a couple of reasons for that uh, in terms of a lot of those crops were very very early sown the poor crops I should say were very very early sown um, and some of those crops actually got disease at the back end of of 2021 if we remember there's mildew in some of those crops so um what happened a lot of those crops I think coming into the spring early spring is that they they thinned out so they lost actually tillers and I suppose Winter barley needs nitrogen, I suppose, in that just at the end of tillering to keep those tillers there. And in some cases, farmers were late or were delayed getting out the first bit of of nitrogen, which meant that some of those crops went a little bit hungry and they started to lose yield potential at that stage. And certainly in the case of winter barley, once you start to lose tillers, you lose yield potential and it's impossible to get it back. The other thing I think that 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 kind of had a, had an impact was barley yellow dwarf fires. And a lot of those early winter barley crops, so on, especially in the south, went in September. Some of those crops were pretty badly affected by barley yellow dwarf fires. And we could start to see that impacting in those crops or becoming evident in those crops as early as April. Um, and I think that followed all the way through. And quite a lot of those crops then, subsequently after that, we started to see ramillaria starting coming into those crops. So it was kind of culmination of, of all three that, that affected those crops. That said, there were some good crops of winter barley around. And some of the some of the later sown crops, some of the crops that were able to get those early applications of nitrogen, they performed reasonably well. Probably not as well as other years, but they still performed acceptably given the conditions that were there this year and some of the earlier sown ones. Okay. Kieran, um if I not to contradict Shane necessarily, but God, if when I'm thinking back, and I know it's rained an awful lot over the last couple of months, but God, when I was thinking back over the summer, I kind of thought it was a very dry summer. Um and and there was uh, if there wasn't a drought, I think it was very close to a drought. How come that that wasn't uh, as much of a factor um, in twenty twenty two in comparison to other years? I I suppose it, they probably got enough moisture in the spring. I suppose that there, there was a number of factors. I suppose we'd well established crops for a start, um, you know, and I certainly think that was that that, that that's always a big help. Um, like May was May was a particularly dry month, but I think there was, as Shay's kind of said already, there was enough moisture there just to keep crops ticking over. Um, like June wasn't a dry month, you know. I'm looking at figures for Oak Park there, 62.5. The long long term average was 60.8. So, you know, I think rain just about came on time, um, time to keep crops going. And then obviously we, we we had a really dry harvest, which was which was which was brilliant, and you know, in terms of you know getting getting crops caught in that, you know. Yeah. And beans are, are often a crop that that that's um you know they try to develop a little bit later on into the season. And I think if people were looking at them standing in fields in probably June, June, July, they would have said, not sure about this crop again. It mightn't just perform terribly well. But how how did it end up or how did it perform in the end? Oh, sure. A, a little bit of a mixed bag. Now, we, we, we spoke about drought there. Certainly some crops, particularly in, say, Carlow, Kilkenny, Leash, Kildare, in that area, I think did feel the effects of that 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 drought pinch. And I don't know if we could call it a drought, but certainly moisture moisture deficit. Um, you know, when you had yields maybe hitting in around two tonnes per acre, but then maybe further south, and I know some crops further north as well did exceptionally well. You know, there was there was up to three tonnes cut in in a lot of places. So I suppose a little bit of a mixed bag, Michael, is the is the summary of it. But certainly, we spoke about drought not really affecting cereal crops earlier on. 
Um, there certainly was some impact on beans, particularly, as I say, in the in the kind of midlands mainly. Okay. Shay, the other break crop that seemed to do quite well is oilseed rape. There seemed to be pretty good yields pretty much all around there. Uh, was it all good news in that sense or was there was there anything that we could have learned maybe in 2022 to bring into 2023? Yeah, again, this was Michael. Oilseed rape was one crop that people who grew it were, were by and large very happy with. Um, again, we had very, very good yields of it. Five tonnes a hectare was quite common in, in a lot of those crops. And I suppose the other point about that was that a lot of those crops were grown on uh, a lot less nitrogen than would have been grown or used heretofore because crops came through the winter uh, pretty well. There was very little pigeon grazing on it. But you're right, there was a kind of a, a hidden problem in some crops and we're starting to see a bit more of it around the place. And that that, that problem is club root. And that's it's becoming more prevalent or reported more around the country. And I think it's something, given the increase of uh, area that's gone in again this year, it's something that we're going to have to be much more careful about our rotations and what other crops we grow on our farms in terms of trying to prevent that club root coming in on crops. And that's predominantly from poor rotations and a lot of brassica has been in the mix. Uh, and we're starting to see that where there were cover crops grown in, in, in some farms, brassica cover crops, uh, be it on some of the department schemes or be it to graze animals on. And I think it's certainly something that we have to be much more aware of going forward over the next number of years. And something else, I suppose, to, to be quite aware of, and I noticed for myself, I suppose, that when, when I was traveling around to a number of crops, grass weeds uh, seem to be popping their head up here and there. Is that a problem, Shay? Do you think it's increasing a little bit more? And and I suppose uh, on the other side of it, are, are people really aware of how serious some of the problems are? You're right, Michael. I, I think it is, it is a, it is, has been a problem and it continues to be a problem. Um, and I suppose one of the one of the uh, benefits of the uh, the ECT program, which is looking at grass weeds uh, in particular, is that there now probably is more of an awareness of the problems that are out there. So traditionally, we would have been looking at maybe wild oats, maybe a bit of sterile brome. And some people weren't really familiar with, they would have been familiar with wild oats, but they probably wouldn't be familiar with the other grasses. Maybe some would have been, you know, broadly familiar with sterile brome, but certainly grass like black grass, even Italian rye grass is becoming a problem. And in some cases, rat's tail fescue. So I think people are starting to become much more aware of them, not only the farmers, but also the agronomists and starting to realise that, you know, some of the practices that we were doing heretofore, about using the same chemistry year after year, um, poor rotations, that type of thing, those sort of things just aren't helping the problem. They're actually probably exaggerating the problem. So I think it's something that, we, again, we have to be very, very careful with going forward and we have to be very more aware of issues that are on farm. Okay, something certainly to bring forward into, into 2023 absolutely, again. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I suppose a, a new thing that landed on farmers' plates this year was the area around double cultivation regulations that were that were implemented around harvest. How do you think that worked on the ground? Were people really up to speed with it? Was it all done, I suppose? I suppose, firstly, there was a level of confusion, I suppose, as to with regards to what needed to be done and how soon it needed to be done. Um, outside of that, I suppose the harvest weather was a big help in the sense, I suppose, one of the limiting factors of, of stubble cultivation normally is the weather and how long it takes to, to remove the, the straw and that so that you're set up for it. Um, so the weather was did help, um, you know. I think most farmers got round, got their head around the regulation eventually and 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 got it done. 
Um, but to certainly look, it, it is it, it did create an extra layer of work, I suppose, um, firstly, and I suppose a, a cost. And I suppose, you know, while the advantage of having all this dry weather at harvest allowed us to do it, but there certainly was a lot of wear and machines in actually doing it. Um, I suppose looking back now, when we see fields around the countryside now and we can see the green cover, I suppose we can see the benefits of, you know, that getting that job done early and as I say the weather that did facilitate that you know and I suppose obviously the ultimate aim here is to have something growing to to mop up any of that residual nitrogen so I suppose from that perspective you know it's good but certainly it did create a lot of extra work and I suppose does certainly draw extra cost to, to farmers as well um, you know it was an exceptional harvest how it will all work out in a more difficult harvest I suppose remains to be seen but I, I would say it's going to be difficult in future Sure. And and Kieran, in terms of kind of just bringing the year on a little bit further, then getting into the, the um, uh, planting um, jobs that have to be done on every farm. It, it was a little bit trickier this year than other years. It it, it it was lovely and dry up as far as the plowing match. And yet again, it broke at the plowing match. The last day it started to rain and kind of hasn't really overly stopped raining in the meantime. No, it's been a difficult autumn. Um, certainly, you know, those farmers that, that were able to get in early had an advantage this year. And I suppose we, we've seen that in the figures where, you know, farmers say, particularly in the northeast or that who, who might be sowing a little bit earlier, say, than a grower further south, who might have been wary of BYDV, as Shay mentioned earlier on. So there certainly is more normal or near normal area say in the northeast but certainly a big pullback in the south and that's just to do to the weather in October just didn't oblige really and we didn't even get that sometimes you get that maybe late October early November you might get that that late timing but it just didn't happen this year really you know okay Sheikh finally can I come to you just in terms of for you what do you think are the the two or three big take-home messages for tillage farmers in 2022 yeah, I suppose, look at if you asked everybody, Michael, they'd all probably have different ones. But certainly for me, there were three kind of ones that stood out for me this year. Um, firstly, probably was the role of organic manures on tillage farms. And it's something that's probably been underappreciated or, or, under, or underutilized or maybe even misused over the last number of years. And we saw a number of farms this year actually using more organic manures in the spring. Some on winter crops where they were using umbilical systems to put slurry onto winter wheat and winter barley crops, which I think is something that, you know, there's there's scope for more and more of that, uh, I think, going in, in the in the years ahead, especially nowadays where derogation to dairy farmers are becoming under more pressure to, to, to try and fit in with the regulation. So I think there's there's roles there for tillage farmers to relieve some of that pressure on, on neighbouring dairy farms. Um, I suppose the other one then I, that I came across again is probably not a new issue, but it's certainly become, it certainly raised its head again this year. And that's this, this, this whole area of, of tank mixing different products. And I think we're starting to see, not starting to see, but we're on a trend where we see more and more and more products going into a tank. And I suppose from the point of view of mixing those products, the more products you put into a tank, the less um, sure we are or less certain we are of how those products are going to react in the tank. I mean, when we would have started or certainly when I would have started walking crops to over 20 years ago now, you know, a herbicide and a fungicide and maybe a growth regulator is about as much as you would have put in a tank. And typically those products would have had one or maybe two active ingredients in them. So at most you're mixing maybe five or six active ingredients. Now we're seeing products with maybe two and three active ingredients in them and people are mixing in herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, 
sides, maybe trace elements with multiple different trace elements in them, then other products as well, be it seaweed type products and stuff like that. And again, unfortunately, certainly, I don't know whether Kieran has seen it this year, but I certainly have seen cases where crops have been badly, badly affected by these tank mixes that are going on. And, you know, that's that's yield that you're losing and you can't get back. And for me, the third one, I suppose, is a kind of nod to the future and where we're going in terms of the reliance on IPM, IPM integrated pest management, for dealing with, with our problems going forward. We're losing more and more uh, chemistry every year. Um, and I think that's something that we're going to have to look at in terms of whether it be rotations, whether it be crop monitoring, whatever it happens to be. But we're going to have to use more integrated pest management techniques in our crops in 2023 and beyond. Okay, thanks, Jay. Karen, do you have anything to add? I presume you would agree fairly much with with, with those three. They seem all very sensible to me. Certainly, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, no. I, I, I mean, do you know anything I would like to say, Michael? In, in terms of a, a take home message for the year, is we have an unbelievable potential to produce high yields in this country, but the weather is is such a big factor. And when the weather, you know, goes in our favour, you know, we we can produce very, very good yields. And I suppose just the other one for me to pick up on Shay's last one is I, IPM going forward. I mean. You know, and I think we're seeing a lot more of it on farm where people are assessing now whether they need to apply that insecticide or that additional fungicide at head at um you know as an ear spray and stuff like that. And I th- I think you know varieties obviously is going to be the core of that. So IPM going forward for me certainly, but you know we do have great potential. It would be a, something I would have picked up from this year that you know when the weather does 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 favours. Guys, as always, that's fantastic. Uh, it's great to get that bit of a, a review for, for 2022 with a little bit of a, a look forward to 2023 in terms of how we might do that a little bit better. Thanks again, as always, guys. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. So that's it for this week. And my thanks to Shay and Karen for joining me on the podcast this week. Listen in next week where Shay and Karen join me again to discuss the prospects and the areas to look out for in 2023. And finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chargas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.